This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Well, welcome back to With You in the Weeds, and we've concluded our Becoming a Whole Person series. And to wrap this up, we're going to do a Your Questions Answered episode because parenting is just hard. Impossible. (laughs) It's not just hard, it's impossible. And we've given people a lot to think about, but we know that in the moment, it's really hard to put those things into practice. And we also know that we aren't going to be able to cover everything in our series. And so we asked listeners to submit some questions that we're going to talk about today and to help me tackle them is Shay, my husband. Big Shay over Hi. here. Hi, out guys. Of the, hey. Yeah. We're doing a planning and strategy here in regards to parenting. And I'm just thinking everybody has a plan and a strategy until they get punched in the nose, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <for laughs> life sure. punches you right in the nose. <laughs> and kids love to prove us wrong. Right, right. You know, as soon as you make a statement about your child, they're going to turn right around and do the exact opposite. So, you know, it, it's easy to feel like you're just behind the eight ball as a parent. And that includes all of us at this table. And so we fall back on that principle that, you know, there is no perfect parent, but we do see how God parents us. And that's how we want to work on parenting our kids. And so the three questions that we're going to address today, I think they're universal enough that many parents are going to get something really good out of this. But just take into account, we we can't factor in every variable. John, when you and I teach real parenting Parents come up to us afterwards with very specific questions, and it's just hard to account for so many factors. The most common one, I think, just anecdotally, is um, my little Billy won't stay in his room when we (laughs) tell him he has to go to bed. Can you help me with that? And honestly, I I wasn't very good at that either. So (laughs) there, there are so many variables. For sure. But I do think that today's questions are really helpful and are going to be helpful as our listeners hear us talk about them. The first question has to do with logical consequences. Then we're going to get into sibling rivalry. And then we're going to talk about agendas in schools and what to do as a parent if it perhaps contradicts a Christian worldview. So let's start with the topic of logical consequences. And John, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Tell me what you know. What was the exact question that the listener Yeah, so we kind of had several questions, but they all fell in this category. And they were along the lines of how do we implement logical consequences? How do we decide what they are? And also ideas of consequences for teens, so parents of adolescents. Yeah, so uh, I can just do a 30,000-foot flyover. Um, we, We like, and we've talked about this, we like logical consequences because they're very powerful and effective to get a parent out of a power play scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, And they really force the child to make decisions. Right. And, And that's helpful for them to exercise their 
decision-making powers, their yes muscle, their no muscle, and then seeing the reality of what happens when they make a good choice or a bad choice. So simple definition of logical consequences, they're consequences connected to a behavior, um, and those consequences are a result of your child's choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's just do some examples. Uh, The TV is too loud. Uh, The parent approaches the child, uh, turns down the TV, and calmly says, hey, the TV is so loud, no one else in the family can hear anything. Can you turn this down? And if you can't turn it down, we're going to have to shut it off. So the choice is yours. You decide what you want to do. The cool thing about that is the kid is really having to deal with the TV, not the parent. Like, Mm -hmm. if I want this TV, I have to use it this way. It's not a, hey, you do it because I said so. (laughs) You know, it takes the parent out Mm -hmm. of the mix because the parent's given the child the freedom to choose. You, you, You can keep it up loud, but because no one can hear... We're going to have to turn it off. Mm. So it's the reality of your your behavior is impacting the mm-hmm. whole room. That's why we're asking you. There's a rationale. Can you think this through and decide what you want to do? Mm-hmm. I probably would have yelled at just turn the dang TV <laughs> down. Like our and, parents did. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's good. not yelling. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's staying calm. I, I hear that yeah. as part of the logical consequences. Yeah, and, and I think it's helpful to know that in parenting, when we talk about it clinically like this or on a podcast, mm-hmm. it's always so neat and tied up with a bow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like in real life, it gets messy. Sure. So I kind of think of try and do this kind of stuff as often as you can. But there are some instances where you'll flop. And you'll get it wrong and it won't quite work out right. Um, But the principle is the kid has to learn to make choices. And are they going to be good ones? Are they going to be bad ones? And you don't want to let them uh, not have the experience of what the consequence is because then they won't learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's another one, slamming the door. I did this with my oldest daughter. She would slam the door and I'd I said to her, look, I I like my house and I don't want it broken. (laughs) And it's just annoying when you slam the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can slam the door if you want to. But if you choose to do that to protect my house, I'm going to take the door off. And yeah, she was getting teen's worst nightmare. (laughs) She was getting closer to the teen years. And she um, sure enough, slammed the door. I took the door off. I left it for two days. And she finally came back to me and she goes, okay, I want my door back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. She she didn't slam the door. Yeah. After that. That's a great idea. And that one actually worked. That stuck. Yeah. That That made an impression. That was cool. Um, Uh Here's one more example. Uh, Kids won't pick up toys. The parent spends a bunch of time picking up toys um, or tells the kiddo, hey, go pick up your toys. Mm -hmm. Well, what if the kid doesn't? Uh, okay, cool. Would you be willing to pick up your toys? And if not, I'm going to put them in the box and you'll have to wait until Saturday to get them. Mm-hmm. So a kid doesn't pick up the toys, you go through the house, put all the toys in the box, mm-hmm. stick them in the garage and hide them until Saturday. Mm-hmm. And the kid realizes, okay, I, because I didn't pick up my toys, there's the consequence. So they have to think. You know, what's a good choice? What's a bad choice? What's going to be good for me? What's going to make my life a little harder? 
I like that. I like that. It, it reminds me of that. You know, I think I, I gave an example uh, in an earlier podcast of the, the the backpack. If you don't pick up your backpack, you just come in the door, you throw it down. Yeah. Well, um, if you if you don't pick it up, put it up, uh, then tomorrow you're going to go and use a paper sack. And, I love that. Or, <laughs> there you go. A grocery so it strikes bag. a grocery bag and strikes the yeah. fear in them of because they don't want to be embarrassed. And the, so, the yeah. social consequences. I just, I love the tool because you create yeah. this teachable moment in the kiddo. Mm -hmm. And they're motivated to think about their behavior, make a choice, and then live with the consequence. Uh, and that empowers them. Uh, to learn to think about choices, and it gives them a sense of control. And frankly, that's what we as adults have to do all mm -hmm. the time. Um, it reduces power struggles. You know, they have to deal with the, well, this is the consequence of my choice. I made the choice. Um, it teaches responsibility. Um, it's exactly what God did with Adam and Eve. You know, you have freedom to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but I'll tell you what— when you do, mm -hmm. if you do, you're going you're gonna to experience death. And they chose, and God did not step in and say, now, wait a minute, hmm. think about this. Um, he did not buffer them, nag them. He said, look, here you go. These are your choices. Um, it's the law of, you know, Henry Cloud and John Townsend call it the law of reaping and sowing. Yeah. You know, you reap what you sow. So, uh I mean, there you go. I mean, those are some simple examples. Uh, I think with the teen thing, mm -hmm. um, you because you move more out of direct parenting and you have less control, and you're more now moving into consulting, influencing, and kind of indirectly parenting. I mean, if it gets if they get really crazy, stupid, right? You have to step in. We talk about the kite string. Mm -hmm. Let the kite string out as far as you can and look for ways to do that because they're trying to be their own authority and exercise freedom and you want to honor that. And just so give them opportunities, look for places to like let them experience that. But then if like a kite, if it gets too windy, things are out of control and they're in danger, you have to reel the mm -hmm. string I in. I like that yeah. illustration. Yeah. yeah. Um, but with the teens, you wait. One of the things you can start doing is showing them the impact that their actions have on a relationship, which I think is really powerful mm -hmm. because they will get to the point where a timeout will not work. Mm -hmm. um, th in fact, they'll challenge you. Uh, give me a timeout. I love being in my room. <laughs> give, make it a month. Yeah. You know, yeah. take the keys yeah. away. I'll just get a ride from one of my friends. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so they're going to have to feel the weight of their decisions. With, with, there's going to have to be consequences. So you get a speeding ticket, you're the one that's going to have to, you might lose the car, um, yeah. but also you're the one that's going to have to pay for the ticket or you're going to have to pay for the increase in the insurance mm -hmm. premiums, those kind of things. You've, you've got to make it hurt a little bit that, look, if I make poor choices, this is going to be the, the consequence of it. And you yeah. can't bail them out, right? Yeah. Because that's, mm -hmm. that's what we want to do as parents. We, we <clears throat> want to cover it over and not... Um, uh, let them feel the consequences of poor decisions. Yeah, it's very important for them to bump into reality. That's the way God deals with us. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's a lot more comfortable uh, letting us experience negative consequences than we are letting our kids 
experience negative consequences. Yeah, John, I think all of this is really good. And I was thinking about this concept of sowing and reaping too. And I was reading that passage in Galatians 6, you know, where it says, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And I think, you know, not only are we teaching our kids that principle, but as parents, what we're sowing into our kids is what is going to, what they are going to reap later on in life. And so, you know, that just the the if then, you know, consequences I think are so good. The other thought I had uh, on this topic is, you know, you can't control other people. You can only control yourself. So you can't fix, change, or control others. But as parents, we can control the child's environment. So even though you may not be able to guarantee an outcome, you can persuade or influence an outcome. So, you know, taking away the keys to the car. Yeah you know, unplugging the TV, you know, things like that. Like, we're the ones that pay the bills. We're, we are the parent in, the, yes. in this equation. And so we do have that power. But, um, you know, the other thing you mentioned, Cloud and Townsend, and, and we've also taught their material boundaries with kids, which I think is excellent. And yeah. I would for sure recommend our listeners to to get a copy of that book. But they talk about parents should remove the words you need or you should from their Hmm. vocabulary. Because as you were saying, as soon as you say, you need to do this, you need to go empty the dishwasher, you need to go do your homework, you're getting into that power struggle. And so they recommend using an if-then formula. Yes. So, and it's kind of like what you were saying, you know, if you don't get your homework done, then you won't be able to go to your friend's party. You know, so what do you want to do? Yeah. So again, you're putting the the burden and the ownership and the responsibility on the child. And then when they make the choice, they feel the consequence. Now, here's what I think is the hardest part about this, at least I'll just say for myself, is the degree to which you can handle your child being upset with you or not liking you is the degree to which you'll be able to enforce these consequences, kind of like a dispassionate judge. Yeah, right. You know, because what I think we tend to do is as soon as then our child expresses disappointment or frustration or maybe even rage, you know, why well, I, I have to go to this party, you know, you ha- you can't stop me from going, then we quickly just acquiesce and we just yeah. give in and we don't hold to that line. And so we have to be prepared to tolerate our kids' negative emotions without getting manipulated. Yeah, Right. By that. Well, I, remember, I, well, I was going to, yeah, well, go ahead. yeah, well, <laughs> let's all talk at once. <laughs> no, this is good. You, we were talking about teens. Uh-huh. And I was saying you get to a point where timeouts don't work. Yeah. And I wanted to throw one other thing in there, like to use your relationship as a consequence. So you ask your teen, hey, can you do the dishes? Because I am really busy. And they just blow you off and tuck it away. And they come back, let's say a week later, hey, can you tonight drive me over to like Sally's because I want to see her and we're, we like each other and we're going to go to a movie. Okay, well, that's cool. But do you remember the other day when I needed help with the dishes and you just like blew it off? Like that cost me extra time and I'm just less inclined to give up my evening now. So maybe next time we can do it a little bit differently. Maybe mm-hmm. Sally's mom and dad can come and get you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I I remember, uh, well, 
it's so easy that easy to give in, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think I can remember back when Owen was a kid and uh, we went to Disney and grandma and grandpa were there and oh, we went yeah. into a Lego store. <laughs> I think it was like the Sears Tower in Chicago and, and uh, this Lego set and Owen wanted it and uh, and grandpa said, said no. And uh, It was kind of expensive. It so. was expensive. And uh, so there's just these big old crocodile, crocodile tears. <laughs> <laughs> flowing down Owen's cheeks. My life is over. <laughs> gra- yeah, the five-year-old. Grandpa immediately gave in. Yeah. You know, just yeah. had been emotionally manipulated. <laughs> yeah, right. But I think the idea with this is that we're letting our children feel a small pain now to hopefully prevent them from experiencing a bigger pain in the future. We talk about good pain versus bad pain. Exactly. And so this is just a way that over time we're moving our kids gradually as they get towards the age of about 18, that you're transferring those responsibilities over to your child. And again, um, Henry Cloud, they use this analogy of every child is born like pulling a little red wagon. And in Hmm. that wagon, you know, you have your thoughts, your feelings, your choices, the consequences, your all of that. But at first, the parent is fully pulling that wagon because the child can't do any of that for themselves. But by the time they're, you know, graduating high school, roughly, they should be pulling that wagon themselves. Now, obviously, you're still there to support and guide, and they're still dependent on you in, in certain ways. And, uh, you know, this there are exceptions to this rule, but generally speaking, you're coaching them into that sense of self-responsibility. So we just see these logical consequences as ways to train, teach, and again, get out of the ring so you're not policing your kids with every little thing they're doing, nagging, scolding, criticizing, but again, putting the burden on them to make a choice and then feel the consequence. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next question. You want to? Yeah. So the next question had to do with, and this is a tough one, but how do you handle sibling rivalry slash conflict slash jealousy <laughs> slash fighting? So this is like a big like barrel of monkeys right here. Okay. Yes. How do you handle sibling rivalry? And Shay, I think you have some good thoughts on this. We've certainly had our fair share of sibling rivalry with our three kids. It's it's probably one of the hardest parts of parenting, I think. Yeah. And this question was asked by Caleb. Kner. Caleb, great question. Um, is it bad that my my first hunch was when I heard this question to say, you know, if if you can help me figure this out <laughs> and know what to say, please help me. But, right. yeah. um, you know, th- there's probably a little more truth there than I care to admit, but it's a great question and, and clearly it's worth addressing. And I, I think there's two main principles to remember regarding sibling rivalry. And the first one is, is that sibling rivalry, conflict, and jealousy is normal. Mm. And I'm not saying it's okay and should be tolerated, but it's definitely normal. Well, heck, what is okay in this world? Right, Mm. yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) We live live in a broken 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 environment. That's right. When sin entered the world... It, it fractured relationships in er- every area of life, husbands and wives, friendships, and especially family life. And, and this is important to know because it can lift some of the shame and lighten the load. If you're expecting this to happen, then you're not surprised by it. 
or not as surprised by it. And, and then you'll have a little more energy to respond and manage it. All right. You want some cool research? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, ages three to eight uh, in this recent research project I was reading about, uh, they uh, wired kids with audio microphones and they tracked them. Seven and a half conflicts on average per hour oh. between ages three and eight. That's seven and a half an hour. And conflict is not just them bumping into each other and then moving on or having a minor, hey, give me that, uh-uh, and then getting distracted. No, it's seven and a half extended conflicts oh, wow. <laughs> where they engage in the conflict with intense emotion and they, they try to get their way. Seven and a half times an hour, <clears throat> That's three, really ages three to eight. I hope that really normalizes the parents out there because when kids are, you know, they're just all over each other and the screaming and the fighting and the nitpicking and yeah. the name calling and all that. I mean, this is like, this is just kids. Yep. Yep. It yeah. is. It's little, little Johnny's a sinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, the second point under the two basic principles, we can just flow into that, like, it can lessen, mm. right, the problems kids have, but it, it's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, what the research found is if the parent between the ages of three and eight spends a lot of time jumping in and mitigating the conflict, meaning they teach their kids how to regulate their emotions and how to talk about it and how to use their words and how to resolve it, um, then when they get a little bit older, eight-ish, they can say, hey, I'm not getting involved. You guys go work it out. Mm. Uh, but they can't do that mm-hmm. until they have some basic skills. So it will lighten up and mm-hmm. lessen up a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. That's really good. As kids mature, um, it, the the rivalry will lessen, hopefully, but it, it never fully goes away, right? But But think about the alternative. Let's pretend you believe that siblings can and should always have 100% harmony and unity. If and when conflict shows up later in life, you're going to be tempted to come down extremely hard on whichever sibling started the conflict. Or you're likely going to shame and guilt them for their feelings of jealousy and creating silly and unnecessary rivalries. And you're going to pit one sibling against the other, creating further division. That's not what anyone in the family wants, and it's not going to solve the problem. But if you're not surprised by it and you're expecting it to come out in some way, th- then you'll have more patience and compassion with the siblings. And in turn, they'll feel more comfortable sharing what's going on underneath the conflict, I think. Yeah. Well, what's important about that is uh, what builds trust is when a conflict occurs. It's not necessarily the conflict that destroys trust. It's failing to repair and mend mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. the fence, if you Mm -hmm. will. So the repair process actually helps strengthen the relationship. Yeah. And and I think this idea of trying to get to the heart of the issues, what's really going on Mm -hmm. underneath and helping them to understand that, um, you know, hopefully will help them. It it will lead to greater harmony and unity in their relationships. Yeah. Well, let's get practical because there are parents in the trenches dealing with kids in conflict. And I think there's just a few things to keep in mind, things that we've tried and that we've seen um, be helpful. And the first one would just be really try to speak highly of each child in front of the other children. 
So that could be at dinner time. You could have everyone in the family go around and say, you know, what do you like about your brother or your sister? Maybe noticing a way that they've helped someone, you know, just pointing out good characteristics in the siblings. And do that for each child. And then I would say the flip side of that is don't speak negatively about one of your kids in front of your other children, because that can definitely be ammo that is used later. So just directly address each child if there's a, um, a complaint that you have with their behavior. And one of the ways this plays out in our family is when it is one of the kids, well, actually anyone in our family's birthday, we go around and everyone has to say what's something that you like, love, or appreciate about, you know, this person. And it's really neat because it's, I love hearing the kids say those things to each other. Sometimes there's just silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, mm, I really need to think about that one. But, you know, we actually have a couple in our small group that they've been using this idea because I shared it with them a while ago. And they said now it's their kid's favorite thing to do in the family, that when a child in the family has a birthday, they actually record it now hmm. because they want to save those words that are being said, those those life-giving words that, you know, the family is sharing. So th that's just something kind of practical. Yeah. The other thing I, that we want to throw in here is just intentionally spending time with your kids. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you'll find that it's sometimes easier to connect with one child more than the other or the others, mm -hmm. if you have a group of siblings. And that's just really normal. Uh, and I think that can help set some parents free. It's normal, but because you're, you're going to be more like one than you are the other. Mm. Um, and so you're going to find it easier to connect with one. Um, but the ones that you have a harder time connecting to, it doesn't mean you don't love them because parents can feel really guilty about this. It just like any relationship, it simply means you're going to have to work harder to make that connection. Hmm. Um, and it's okay. Like when you're spending time with kids, if sometimes you spend more time with one kid than the other, as long as the other understands the rationale, like in other words, Hey, I'm spending more time with your sister, Kathy, this week because she's really had a hard time in school and she's hurting right now. But we'll spend some time together next week. Mm -hmm. Kids understand that. Yeah. They get it. And, it, you know, that's not favoritism. Um, and they can deal with that if they understand kind of the rationale. So spend time with your kids. Um, lean into connecting with the harder ones and work more intentionally and harder at it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's good, John. I, I, I also think, you know, probably um, if you have, you know, multiple kids, you might gravitate towards one because you have more interests in common, right? Well, yeah, and same so you, thing. You kind of naturally spend more time maybe with one kid. Or if one kid likes sports and the other doesn't and you like sports, it might it might just naturally flow that you spend more time with the kid with in sports. But you have to— um, you have to be, um, you know, cognizant of that that's what's going on and then also find other ways to connect with the other child that maybe um, and find other interests that you can take part in in their life. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say to kids, hey, you know, I like hanging out with, you know, Biff, 
because Biff loves baseball and I love baseball and you don't like baseball. So I have that in common with Biff, but there's stuff that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's really helpful for them to understand differences like that because that's adult life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think the third thing is, is we can uh, create family sayings, you know, things like we're a team or, you know, someday your brother or sister is going to be your biggest fan and your best friend. Uh, I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but that's the truth. You, you take care of them, and they'll take care of you when, when you need it someday. Or uh, to say this, I won't let someone else speak to you that way, and so I won't let you speak to them mm-hmm. that way. Um, do what works for your family, but repeat these. Say them over and over. Uh, maybe get your kids to participate in some family rules of how they want and should treat each other. I think that's good. Um, yeah. Have them write it down. Hmm. Um, you know, put it on the refrigerator, and then try to embody those things yourself. And so, try to live out those things and and um, uh, those truths before your family. That's yeah. really excellent. Have them think through. Yeah. Like how? How what do are, we want to treat? What are each our other? ground rules? Right. Like this year. For our family. You Mm -hmm. can maybe change it sometimes. I think that's really good. Well, let's just talk about the last question because a listener wrote in who was looking for guidance on how do you navigate your child's school if you think there's an agenda there that might be promoting ideas that contradict a Christian worldview. So here's a hot potato question, and I think we have some good things to say about it. I know this is a tough issue that Many parents are facing, and again, we can't address every variable, but Shay, I think you have some really good wisdom on this topic. Yeah, I really appreciate the two of you giving me this one to answer. (laughs) Go. Okay, so this is just my opinion. Um, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here, but, uh, and so um, God give us wisdom as we have to make these kind of decisions. But uh, in in fact, this question does hit on the where I'm just at personally with our youngest son, uh, he and I have been visiting colleges this past year. And, um, you know, some schools we've visited, there just isn't diversity of thought. Hmm. Uh, can, can I just say that? There's and, not diversity. There, there, there's not. not. No. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, in fact, there was a new poll I saw yesterday speaking of Harvard. Um, their staff and their students and, and just how homogenous they are in terms of their worldview. Um, I mean, it's amazing how they all think alike. Mm. And if you're a Christian, you better be solid in your faith because you're going to be the minority and your worldview will be the minority. And increasingly so. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and that's why I'm so thankful for, you know, strong campus ministries and good churches in college towns that uh, are, are there for kids when they yeah. go away to school and, and can be there to help them grow in their faith. But I, I think this question assumes, okay, first of all, that, that you're the one that's teaching them a Christian worldview at home. Um, so they know how to think about these issues that mm-hmm. are going to come their way in life, right? We we looked at this. We talked about this, but Deuteronomy 6, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that, that our kids need to see that uh, modeled in our lives as parents. But then it goes on to say, and, and teach your kids these things as you go about life. And so the assumption is, is that we're teaching and training uh a worldview to our kids. We're giving them that um, as part of our parenting. 
And so we want to help our kids think Christianly about how we treat others, uh, who God is and how he's made us, things on marriage, that those kind of things. And, and so that means reading our Bibles with our kids and, and maybe reading good Christian books and subjects our kids are talking about and dealing with. Um, so that we're able to educate them on these matters. And, and I would just say this, be patient with them um, when they encounter new ideas and, and they're wrestling with these things. I mean, help them think it through. Um, I know that our tendency is to just get angry uh, when they're wrestling over these issues. Maybe they, they come and tell you that, and you're thinking, how can you even entertain those ideas? Well, I think it's because parents are scared. Yeah, they're scared. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so we tend to shut them down, mm -hmm. but we need to help them process these things um, so that our faith becomes theirs, so to speak. Well, we can pass that baton to them. You know, that's— we're, you know, passing down our faith to them. As my dad would say, the most important part of a relay race is the passing of the baton. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think this is kind of a critical juncture for parents. Yeah, that's good. I also think there are many good schools out there. And as Christians, we, we need to be, you know, in the world, but not of it. In, in other words, just here's my thoughts. Hear me out. If yeah. we withdraw from the world totally— uh, how are we going to have an impact if we don't interact with unbelievers? Um, Lynn and I, we sent our kids to public schools, and they had a great experience. And as a result of that, they had a huge impact on other yeah, kids for Christ. It, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. We were talking about um, people that are involved in our church and have come to faith as a result of just our kids inviting sure. them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that said, uh, I, I think it's true that it seems more and more schools today— uh, have an agenda, even elementary and secondary schools. And and parents, like you said, John, are they're scared. Um, they're rightly frustrated. They're losing control. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I totally get that, and I can identify with that. Um, or it, it might be a great school, but one or two teachers there have an agenda and can hijack the entire school. And I, I see more and more parents homeschooling or sending their kids to Christian schools as a result. And I, I think that that can be a good choice. But not all of us are going to obviously be able to do, to do that or to afford that. Mm -hmm. and, and so as parents, seek to find ways you can have respectful conversations with teachers or administrators about issues that you disagree with. And keep the dialogue going with your kids. Um, in other words, stay at it. Don't check out. You've got to persevere. You have to seek to be a faithful presence over time. And pray that God, you, please help my children understand the gospel and have the courage to follow Jesus in a culture that seems more and more hostile to Christianity. And, 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 and I would pray this. Help us to, as parents to, to not just be what I like to call vampire Christians, right? Mm. You know what I mean by that? No. Where I've we never just heard that before. Did no, you make that up? We just I don't know. I like vampire it. movies. <laughs> I, I kind of do too, but um, vampire Christians are one that we just trust the blood for forgiveness, mm. and that's all we've got. That's that's the extent of our relationship with Jesus, but we really don't follow Him. Mm. Mm. We're just a vampire Christian. We're just trusting in the blood, mm. and not a follower of King Jesus. And um, our kids, well, and, and, right? Our kids are going to pick that up if we're not 
Mm-hmm. Loving the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, yeah. and and I, I I think you can do that and still be scared for your kids at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just trusting in Jesus day by day isn't going to automatically erase sure. those tensions. Mm-hmm. But day by day, you know, learning to practice, Jesus, you've got to come into this, mm-hmm. and you have to lead us today. Um, give us wisdom that we don't have. Yeah, and and so it goes back to you do the best you can um, on this. You you seek to influence your kids for Christ. You stay involved. You stay faithfully present. And because they're going to encounter all types of things uh, in in life, and so if you can help them to think of these things through a Christian worldview, um, I, I think that's your goal. Uh, but ultimately. Uh, God, by His grace, has to intervene and work in their life as well. And so, do your best you can, and then give your kids kids to God. Well, and the parents have a lot of power and a lot of influence um, with the kiddo in the home. So, if you if parents are lovingly engaged and they're asking questions and they're listening to their kiddos' questions and giving them good resources, and the kids see them like standing. Mm-hmm. Firm on conviction, but being gentle, mm-hmm. like in their approach and non-adversarial and trusting Jesus, that goes a long way. And I, we lived in California for a long time, and I saw a friend of mine raise his kiddos in the public school, and I think his son was the only conservative in the class, and it was brutal. Mm-hmm. But that kid's personality and the way that my friend parented him, the kid actually thrived. He enjoyed it. He liked it. Hmm. And he had church friends that mm-hmm. supported him. Mm-hmm. But some kids <clears throat> some kids won't have that kind of strength. So you have to know your kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's also true in this age. Last thing I'll say on this, but people think, oh gosh, it's it's about the schools, right? And but the reality is, is that they're probably learning more on the internet mm-hmm. <laughs> and being influenced more by social media and the internet mm-hmm. than the mm-hmm. schools are ever in, in, in influencing them it's these a good days. Point. So things have changed, sure. right? Oh, yeah. And so there's bad worldviews coming in into your home. It's not the schools. I mean, it is. It may, mm-hmm. maybe the school that your kids are attending. But think about what they're maybe seeing on the internet every day that's already influencing them. Yeah. And and so you've got to be having these conversations with yeah. them. Well, I tell my clients who are asking questions about the internet and, hey, you know, how do I help my kid, you know, face the world? I tell them point blank, you are in the postdoc research phase of the PhD of parenting, mm-hmm. having to deal with the internet mm-hmm. and everything you have to face now. Mm-hmm. I didn't when my kids were mm-hmm. growing up. The iPhone and the iPad came out when I think they were 14. So the social media pressure was just beginning. But what parents face now, it's incredibly mm-hmm. pervasive and it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Yeah. I think the, the main takeaway I'm getting from this is just stay engaged. Yes. It's it's easy to to back down, give up. And I think it actually goes back to the point we made under logical consequences is be willing to tolerate the distress in your child if you take a stand and you have these conversations. Because it's as believers for us, 
it could be very easy to go, well, yeah, I guess I don't really believe that Christian worldview either because I want to have this friendship with my child and my child is adopting some of these points of view. So it goes back to, you know, we have to learn to tolerate that distress as parents and hold to what we know to be true Mm -hmm. and what we believe and, and what our convictions are. Not that we're perfect in that at all, but I think as our kids push back and as the culture pushes back, they need to feel us standing strong and not like we have all of the answers, but that our foundation is on God's Word. Our foundation is in Christ. Well, this has been a really good conversation. We tackled a lot of parenting topics. We hope that our listeners who wrote in have gotten something from what we've shared today. And be aware that our next series that's going to be coming up in January is going to be talking about managing your dysfunctional family. Woo-hoo. So if, <laughs> Here you, we go. if you thought the parenting <laughs> series was fun, put your seat belt on because we are going to be talking about what are the rules of a dysfunctional family. We're going to talk about difficult mothers, difficult fathers, prodigal children. I think we might touch on alcoholism or an alcoholic parent. So we're, Or any kind of substance you're yeah, addicted to, yes. how that impacts the family. Exactly. So we're going to take some of these topics and dig in very deep. So we look forward to seeing you guys in the new year. Lynn, thanks for hosting us today. Yeah. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.